At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Try Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, John Cotillo, and today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and info. It to audiobooks whenever and wherever you may be at Audible.com, and you can get a 30-day free trial right now if you go to audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, we're talking about the Miami Hurricanes. So who better to bring on than Jerry Steinberg from State of the U? How's it going, Jerry? Hey, not bad. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your guys' work over there. Um, my, incidentally, just a little topic before we get started. Uh, my last two choices for college were actually Syracuse and Miami way back in uh, 1995, and, and I ended up going to the U. But a big fan of Syracuse when I'm not rooting for the U, so so keep up the good work, guys. We appreciate it, Terry. We, we, we do. I, I know we both wear orange. I know you guys have always just been much better at football than we are. But the fact that we have so many links, including the forgotten man, Bernie Fine, will, uh, will, oh, yeah. will, will always, be, always be tethered by that. Uh, absolutely. So good, good to be on, guys. <laughs> so I guess we'll jump in. Um, obviously, like the, the big thing on everybody's mind uh, right away is uh, is Ryan Williams' injury for you guys. Uh, I mean, it's a crushing blow. As, as someone who saw you guys is, is really kind of the runaway lead, uh, winner of the Coastal Division this year. Um, to see, you know, Williams go down. I mean, obviously you guys aren't barren at the position, but at the same time, it's certainly not the best news, um, especially in spring when you pretty much have to kind of hit reset on your expectations on the roster. So I guess what's the feeling down in Miami? Uh, where do you guys go from here? All right, well, first of all, there is some good news on the Williams front. Um, allegedly he's way ahead of schedule on his rehab uh, Williams himself has came out, and, and I think he spoke to the Miami Herald a couple weeks back and said he thinks he's going to play week one. Um, before he came out and said that, I'd read reports that uh, they were pretty much cautiously optimistic that he'd be ready for the Nebraska game, which is Miami's fourth game of the season. So the way it's sounding is Ryan Williams is going to be the quarterback at some point. And, you know, I, I I wish I had access to Al Golden to ask him whether or not the job would be Ryan Williams no matter what once he's healthy. Um, the backup options in the meantime, if he's not ready for week one, which if he's ready for week one, that would be miraculous. I'm I'm more, more cautiously optimistic that he'll be ready by, you know, midseason. Um, Miami picked up a transfer, a graduate student from the University of Kansas, formerly the BYU and Jake Keats. Uh, this is a guy that was once a five-star prospect, but has had very little success other than maybe his freshman year at BYU. Just coming off a terrible season where he had under 50% completion percentage and a negative interception to touchdown ratio uh, on a very bad Kansas team. So, so Miami's kind of uh, gone with the break glass and emergency with with heaps. So it's looking like you know heaps. We'll see how he does in summer practice. Um, but it's looking like Heaps is probably going to be the front runner if he's a starter. Um, Miami does have a redshirt freshman named um, Kevin Olson, the younger brother of Greg Olson, who's a tight end for the Carolina Panthers, also a former great University of Miami tight end. Um, Kevin came in with a, a lot of uh, hype. He's not lived up to it. Um, the reports early on in spring were that he had improved significantly over last season, but in the spring game he laid a complete egg. So Miami fans are not feeling too comfortable about Kevin Olsen and, and the staff going out and recruiting heaps to come in obviously shows that the staff isn't that comfortable with Olsen either. So you've got a lot of possibilities, a lot of question marks at that quarterback position, guys, uh, uh, going into fall camp. 
Now, that's interesting because I actually hadn't heard the Williams news. Now, what – I mean, I've seen ACL injuries um, a ton in my time just following covering college football. Like, is this one of the fastest recoveries you've ever seen? Uh, yeah, I mean, when when I heard he tore it, uh, and he tore it, um, I, I think a few days before the spring game. So we're talking March here. Um, you know, to recover within six months would be uh, uh, the quickest recovery I, I could think of offhand. Um, so I, I'm, I'm taking that with a grain of salt. I, I believe that those were Williams' words, week one. I don't think any team physician has came out and, and you know, given the prognosis that he'd be available. Uh, potentially for week one. So I, I think if you're a Miami fan, you have to wait and see. Um, the fact that they're even talking about him playing this season is a good sign for Miami. Uh, they open the season against Louisville, and then they pretty much play their out-of-conference schedule. Um, so, you know, their hopes for winning the ECC Coastal could very well rest on whether Ryan Williams is able to come back before they get into the bulk of their ACC schedule. So, um, you know... It, it would be a miraculous recovery. I mean, it would be something out of the Adrian Peterson book of recovery. Um, but but we're going to wait and see on that, and, and it will be heaps and often. Um, there's another guy I did not mention that I'm thinking Miami probably wants to redshirt, uh, a gentleman named Brad Kaya, who's a true freshman who was not available um, as an early enrollee and will be having his first practices at Miami uh, come August. But he's a guy I really like. I think he's the future of the program. Um, you know, if you watch his film, he's kind of like a Ken Dorsey with a bigger arm. Um, real smart kid. I had a chance to interview him uh, when he first verbally committed to Miami. Has a great head on his shoulders and has all the physical tools to be a great quarterback. For him to come in in August as a true freshman and win the starting job would be, uh, you know, a long shot at best. So we're probably looking at Heaps and Olsen. Um in the interim, and, and potentially Williams, and down the line, I think it's Kaya's job to lose starting next year. Hmm. Well, I guess that's a name that uh, SU fans have to worry about. I mean, admittedly, we don't really play you guys much, which is hopefully something that we fix in the ACC sooner rather than later. But um, in terms of this year, uh, it sounds like Williams is going to play, but if you're going between Olsen and Heaps, I mean, Heaps hasn't really looked great in his, you know, college career thus far. You said That's putting it kindly. Yeah. <laughs> but how much of that is, is a result of heaps and how much of that is a result of coaching and, and program at aptitude? I mean, anyone coming from Kansas, I feel, um, and this might be doing them, doing those players a little too much of a favor, but it's like anyone coming from Kansas after about the 2007-2008 time range, it, it just feels like you know what they what they were dealing with was far more than most had to, and just because they were putting up terrible numbers didn't necessarily mean that they were terrible players. But it's interesting. I I went to uh, our explanation partners for uh, for Brigham Young. Um, I, I, Vanquishing the foe is the name of the site, um, and I also talked to some folks on a non SB Nation site for Kansas, and I, I kind of tried to put together a scouting report on heaps from guys I'd seen him play the past couple of years, and I also went and watched his highlights from the spring game of last year. And the guy looked fantastic during Kansas' spring game last year, which matches up with the scouting report I was given from the folks at Vanquishing the Foe and the Kansas blog I talked to. They said he is great in shorts. He's great with no pass rush. If you just put him on a field – you know, with no defense, he can hit the target all day long. They said where he has his biggest problems, where he loses, uh, you know, his footwork and where he, he loses his accuracy is when, when he gets a heavy rush under him. So that tells me that if Miami can do a decent job protecting him, and, and one would think that Miami could do a better job protecting Heaps than Kansas did um, with the type of players they have on their offensive line, he could still be at least an adequate player until Williams comes back. Maybe not, you know, uh, a threat to Jameis Winston's reign as the best quarterback in the conference, but, you know, a guy that can help them win a couple games and, and, and keep their head above water until Williams can come in. So I, that, that that's what I've heard, and, and that gives me some hope for optimism. But, you know, a guy that's on his third program in four years is definitely coming into the program with some baggage. So uh, I, I don't think Miami fans are, 
you know, going out and buying Jake Heaps jerseys uh, anytime in the near future. And I guess, you know, a lot of that, you know, talented and shorts thing kind of sounds familiar for us. And Syracuse fans, I know we dealt with this last year. We started with Drew Allen, who was an Oklahoma transfer. Everybody we talked to from Oklahoma said, guy's the real deal. He was stuck behind two legit starters. Only reason why he didn't play, he beat out Terrell Hunt in uh, the spring. Everything went well. And then, you know, through like two and a quarter error games last season, he just, we finally pulled the plug. Hunt got put in, and you know Hunt ends up playing pretty well. I mean, he went seven and four, well, six and four as a starter, seven and four when he played the majority of the game. Um, so we definitely understand some of the struggles there in terms of getting a transfer quarterback. Yeah, in in, in some ways, a transfer quarterback could almost be like getting a freshman quarterback. I mean, any time uh, a guy has to learn a new system, a guy in South Florida that. Uh, had to go through four offensive coordinators in four years uh, that started out with a promising career, was even mentioned in Heisman Talk, and ended up being, you know, a, a very roller coaster type quarterback is Ja'Cory Harris. I mean, every year, um, UM seemed to have a new offensive coordinator, and he was starting from scratch, and that, that kind of sidetracked his career. Um, you know, after early on, he had so much success, he, he kind of turned into an interception machine. So, although Ja'Cory Harris wasn't a transfer, like you guys are talking, the fact that he had to learn a new system every year, I think that played some role. Uh, that and the fact that he didn't have the strongest arm uh, played played a big role, you know, in some of his up and down. So, I, I know where you guys are coming from. Um, what, what is Syracuse? I, I'm going to turn the table and ask you guys a question. Uh, what, what's a reasonable goal for Syracuse this year, their program? I mean, right now we're kind of, I mean, for us, and I know you guys deal with the, you know, are you back question all the time. And, and for you guys, obviously, that that measurement is much higher. But for us, I think the feeling around the program is that we are back to being confident. We're back to being competitive. And, like, the results last year largely proved that. But then there's also – four games in which you could argue the exact opposite, the Georgia Tech game, the Florida State game, the Clemson game, and the Northwestern game, pre-injuries for, for the Wildcats. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of mixed feelings about Syracuse right now. I think we're seeing um, we're seeing one camp that, that is being very reserved in, in the 6-6, six 7-5 six, range. You know, win the game you're supposed to win, lose the game you're supposed to lose. Um, I, I don't think the Atlantic – I mean, you guys know in the Coastal that, like, for the most part, you can win or lose just about any game going out there. For us, it's it's you're going to lose Florida State and Clemson, and then there's four more games in which you're probably dealing with a toss-up. So for us, it's, it's can we win those other games? And, and I mean, last year we finished third in the division, which is, I think, to me, a big accomplishment in our first year in the ACC. And, and I think... Um, you know, expectation-wise, anything anything less than a bowl game would be a disappointment, but I don't think, given how many guys we have back, we have like, I think 16, 16, 17 some odd guys coming back from last year's team, and that team was was replacing a really senior-laden 2012 squad. Um, I, I think for a lot of folks, if we don't win seven, maybe eight games, um, I, I think I think we're going to start to see a very interesting shift in the way we think as a, as a fan base from glad we're making bowls again to, all right, now, which bowls are we making and how are we going to elevate ourselves as a program? Right. I mean, when I think of Syracuse, you know, uh, lately I don't think, you know, too highly of them, but but traditionally, I mean, going back from, you know, growing up myself in the 90s and, you know, having uh, my father and uncles tell me about guys like Jim Brown and Ernie Davis and, you know, so on and so forth, and, and myself watching Donovan McNabb and, you know, uh, the McPherson era, and I mean, I, I think of a program that maybe is not as, you know, a, a powerhouse like the University of Southern California, Notre Dame, Florida State, Miami, but I think of a program that's, you know, well above average, um, you know, with some, with some definite peaks and valleys in there. So so it's interesting to me, I, you know, and I want to ask you guys about the recruiting, too. I mean, what, 
what does Syracuse need to do recruiting wise? Um, you know, upstate New York isn't exactly a hotbed for five star prospects. Uh, what kind of players do they need to pull in to kind of turn that thing around? Well, I mean, right now we're actually, I mean, last year we finished top 50 for the first time in about a decade, which is, I mean, an achievement in and of itself. And for those of us, you know, who are pretty hot on the recruiting game, um, I mean, it, it, was, it was shocking, it was thrilling. And the good part, too, is that moving to the ACC, uh, we're not necessarily confined to the Northeast. We're not necessarily confined to New York specifically. As a lot of folks know, you know, New York isn't exactly a hotbed for recruits. But when we were a great program um, and a program that was consistently, you know, top 20 for most of the late 80s into the early 90s and first, you know, year or so of the 2000s, um, you know, we, we, we own New Jersey. Um, we, we made a play into, into Pennsylvania. And then we, we took hold of a lot of the kind of Maryland and up, like mid-Atlantic area. Um, and now you're seeing a much different shift. Uh, I mean, last year, I think we had four, maybe five kids from Georgia this year. We're looking at more kids from Georgia. We're getting a ton of kids, surprisingly, from your neck of the woods. Um, and that's a, a lot of that's due to uh, our office coordinator, George McDonald's connections down there. Um, I think when Scott Schaefer uh, created, you know, the staff that he put together once Doug Marone left, he, uh, he really put it together with recruiting in mind. And what you're seeing now is us really planting flags in, in the Chicago area and in the Miami area, and, and it's paying dividends. I mean, you're seeing... Right now, we're, by most services, looking at a top 30 class. We've got, like, 23 guys locked up. So take that with a grain of salt. Some of that's volume-based. But, uh, it, you know, it's interesting to me and, and, and ironic. You bring up New Jersey as a positive um, when you talk about uh, recruiting for Syracuse. And, and I actually uh, – I know your manager, Sean Keeley, grew up from my neck of the woods. I'm from central Jersey, and I played high school football. And I can tell you that New Jersey – it's not South Florida, it's not California, it's not Texas, but it's pretty high up there. But you have a percentage of our fan base, and rightfully so to an extent, that is so, quote-unquote, I'll say snobby about recruiting in South Florida that I've seen some of our fan base actually complain because Al Golden, who's also from New Jersey, has done a great job of pulling you know, some of the best talent out of that state the past couple of years. Um there's a guy who I think might be the, the biggest breakout performer on, on the entire UM team this upcoming year, Al-Kadeem Muhammad. Uh, he's a defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid that was a four- or five-star guy, depending on the recruiting service, uh, right out of New Jersey that's coming into his sophomore season this year, and, and he's going to be a great player. They have a freshman from Jersey named uh, Ty Hester, who is a heat-seeking missile of a safety I, I don't know if they plan on redshirting them because that's one position Miami is pretty deep at, uh, safety with guys like Deion Bush and Rashawn Jenkins, and they moved Dallas Crawford, who ran for 12 touchdowns last year, to safety uh, this year. So Miami's really deep at safety, but they have a kid from Jersey, Hester, who might be, you know, an all-world safety from Jersey. So it's interesting to me. I, I, I try and tell Miami fans that, you know, they they some of them joke, and and when Al Golden pulls a kid from Jersey, they're like, "This isn't Temple South," and I'm like, "You guys are underrating Jersey," and and it's refreshing to me to hear that Syracuse actually considers New Jersey as you know, as part of their, you know, hotspot for recruiting. It it it's it's just ironic to me considering that we actually have a fan parts of our fan base that complain about Al Golden recruiting in New Jersey. So, um. Which, while we're on the topic of recruiting, I'm going to do a little shameless self-promotion here. There are Syracuse fans that listen to this and are curious about what Miami's been up to. Uh, the University of Miami football program has been on an absolute torrid pace of late with picking up verbal recruits for both 2015 and 2016. Uh, they got Jordan Scarlett, who's a, a 210-pound running back that runs a 4440, getting ready to go into his senior year is one of the best running backs in the country. And Sam Bruce, who's actually a receiver for 2016, I believe he's either the son or the nephew of Isaac Bruce. But he's, you know, uh, a Roscoe Parrish, Santana Moss type uh, player. And they picked up both of those guys on uh, July 8th. On July 4th, they had two recruits come in. Uh, One of the best quarterbacks in the country for 2016, a guy named Jack Allison, uh, who's 
you know, a six foot six quarterback. He's only a saw. He only finished his sophomore season. He's six foot six, and he can make every throw on the field. Uh, verbally committed to Miami um, right around the fourth of July. So uh, Miami's been on a ridiculous pace lately, and and their their class of 2015 and class of 2016 uh, recruiting classes are, are beginning to look ridiculously good, which would back up a very strong class of 2014, where they picked up players, you know, a couple four or five-star guys like Chad Thomas and Brad Kai, who I mentioned earlier, the quarterback, um, uh, you know, uh, just a really good recruiting class uh, for 2014. So uh, Miami's on a real roll um, with recruiting, and I think that's going to be the lifeblood of bringing them, quote-unquote, back, like you mentioned before. If they're going to get back, they're going to have to get kids, you know, like like I mentioned, uh, you know, uh the young man Thomas is, is just a great defensive end linebacker prospect. They have picked up one of the top offensive tackles in the country in Casey McDermott, a running back named Joe Yearby, who people are calling a Duke Johnson clone, which is high praise. And the Hester kid, who's going to be a really good safety in a couple of years. So my, Miami's on a real definite role of recruiting. And, and I think that um, is going to keep our fan base at bay because with the quarterback problems, they might not see it translate this year. If I had to predict right now, I'd say Miami's probably an 8-4 team this year, which in South Florida is unacceptable. So, um, But the recruiting is a good sign that they could get over that hump and get back to where you know Miami's standards have been the past 25 years. Well, interesting you mentioned the, the recruiting uptake. I mean, it's not just – I don't even think it's just Miami. I think it's, it's I think it's the entire ACC, or at least a good portion of it. I mean, you look at you look at the top 30 to 40 right now in most recruiting services, and it's littered with, with, with ACC squads. I think it's my only concern, not for Miami necessarily, but for some of the Northeast schools. Um, I mean, D.C., Pitt, Syracuse, all doing very well right now, is, um, you know, do other schools – better, quote-unquote, schools, um, utilize, you know, the, the great scouting that, that those teams have done to find these guys who may not have been on the radar and offer them. I, I know we saw it um, very recently. It was Devontae Davis. Anyway, right. For some reason, yeah, forgot his name. Davis. And, and people will skewer me later for this. But... I mean, we found a guy who was a, you know, fringe two-and-a-half, three. Then suddenly everyone goes, oh, well, what a shoot he's seeing this kid. He he shoots up the boards. Everybody's talking about him. He decommits. And then he's looking at Florida State now. So, I mean, do, do you see that as being a potential that, you know, these Northeast schools and these schools um, that are kind of not not middle of the road, but they're they're not powers necessarily, but, but they've, they've found a way to – exist and resurrect themselves with uh, with great recruiting. Do you think that right now the Southern schools are kind of – they're going easy on who they hire because they don't necessarily need to do all the work if other schools are going to do it for them? Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into recruiting, as I know you're aware. Um, I think for the Syracuses, the Boston College, you know, type schools, the Rutgers of the world – I think it's important that you get a head coach that has charisma and you get a staff that has charisma. Um, you know, I, Miami kind of sells itself on its history. Uh, Miami has a fertile, you know, uh, just nonstop supply of great players from South Florida that they can, you know, if they can keep some of them home, they're good. Um, you look at what Rutgers did a couple years back. And and I like to pick Rutgers because one, it's a it's a great success story, and two, you know they I, I grew up minutes from that campus, so I have a soft spot for Rutgers, even though you know I attended Miami and my second choice was Syracuse. Um, you know, Greg Chiano had that you know chop away attitude, and he really sold the kids on it. And, and Chiano actually came down into South Florida and picked up some recruits over the years, and. And they established identity, and and I think kids bought into it. And I think that's the way for Syracuse, in my opinion. They have to have the right coach with the right mentality, 
that can sell the kids on, on, on building something from the ground up, building something special. Not every program can be Florida State. You know, not every program program could be the University of Southern California, and not everybody has a campus as beautiful as what they have in Austin, Texas, and, you know, not everybody has a Nick Saban as their head coach. But if you can build something that kids believe in and you can sell them on the idea that you have a plan to win – and that they're going to be a part of something special. I, I think you can recruit, you know, a, a, a decent amount of kids that that are, you know, three- and four-star guys, and, and you can have a good program that way. To me, that that's the way to do it if you're Syracuse or, or anybody that's in Syracuse's position. Because it's interesting. You bring up a kid, says they had Syracuse had a verbal commit to him, boom, his his stock goes up and he goes to Florida State. That's going to happen. You're just never going to be able to compete on that level with with certain programs. I mean, uh, we can talk all day about, you know, trying to recruit kids that are four- and five-star guys, but it's just not going to happen everywhere. So to me, it's all about building your identity and, and, and getting kids to buy into it. And and having a charismatic coach is the quickest way to, to build your program up quickly. I completely agree. I mean, I think that's something where – it seems that the fan base is surprisingly bought right into um, with SU is that Schaefer's an incredibly charismatic guy. I mean, I, I met him in person several months back, and, I mean, you'd, you'd run through a wall for the guy. He's just, he's got an infectious amount of confidence, but also realism. He's got an infectious amount of enthusiasm for the kids he coaches because he wants to coach for the job he has and wants to do. And, and, and I think there's something to be said for it. And, and I do, while I did love what Marone did for us to get back to respectability, I love the fact that Schaefer doesn't see that as, as a reason to, you know, kind of rest, but instead sees it as a reason to, to really continue to drive forward and to keep pushing this program. So, I, I mean, I'm personally, I'm excited about recruiting. I know it's not at Miami levels, it's probably not going to get to Miami levels, but at the same time, like you said, a program like Syracuse can, can very well drive a lot of growth and a lot of success. In the another, model for, another model for Syracuse and another model for, for any ACC school would be what David Cutcliffe did at Duke. I mean, you're talking about great on-field coaching, a guy that obviously knows his X's and O's. One time, you know, he was the, I believe he was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee when Peyton Manning was there. So, you know, the guy knows his stuff. Um, you know, you look at what David Cutcliffe did. They're not littered with four- and five-star guys, but the talent level at Duke was definitely definitely significantly better than what they had, you know, probably maybe ever. So, I mean, if Duke can do it, if Duke can make it to an ACC you know, a uh, championship game, I, I don't see why Syracuse can at some point. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's out there to be done. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, because a lot of people do point to Duke and say, you know, for a, for a school that has never been has never been all that good at, at football, saved some, some spurts here and there, has been historically much, much worse than Syracuse has been. But, but there's a similar situation, um, slightly bigger market, but private school, mostly academically focused, um, and and they just, and, and, you know, surrounded by kind of sharks. I mean, for us, it's it's, it's pissed in the Penn State, and, I mean, pretty much anybody at this point. Like, we've we've lost, you know, New York State recruits to the likes of Clemson, et cetera, because, you know, people can come into our backyard. So, for, for us, um, you know, I think Schaefer could potentially be a cut with type, and we have to hope that that both Clemson and Florida State stumble and fall for us to, to get a division title. But I mean, never say never. That's the great part about college football. It's it's a small sample size. Things happen, and I mean, I'll hope for it. I I was on campus personally during the the Greg Robinson years. So to me, I mean, this is all this is all delightful. But 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 at some point, I, I know that I'm going to be pushing for more. Hey, do we have time to talk some hoops too on this call? I, I mean, you want to use a, a basketball example, and, you know, obviously my bias is going to show here. Uh, you know, I'm a homer for the University of Miami, I, admittedly so. 
if you look at what Jim Laranaga has done with the University of Miami, okay, Miami and Syracuse, you can flip-flop them with basketball and football, right? Syracuse is the traditional powerhouse in basketball. Miami is the traditional powerhouse in football. If the University of Miami can win a regular season, an ACC conference championship in basketball, anything is possible. <laughs> I should leave it at that. Um you know, I, I'm a long, long, long-time supporter of basketball. Uh, when I got into writing, I, I started out as just a basketball writer. I, I, I started covering football a couple of years in after covering strictly basketball. Um, University of Miami basketball, you're talking Rick Barry in the 60s. The program was shut down until 1985 from, I believe, 1970. So the program was shut down for 15 years. Uh, Leonard Hamilton brought some of the three consecutive um, NCAA tournaments when they're in the Big East years in the late 90s, and then nothing. And and, and Miami kind of catches a break. Frank Keith takes the job, goes to Missouri. They have an opening. All due respect to Frank Keith, he kind of left a mess behind with, with some of the NCAA allegations. Uh, was not the best in-game coach, in my opinion. I think that kind of showed at Missouri the past couple of years, too. And Miami gets an absolute, you know, uh, hits the lottery with Laranaga, and two years later, they're not only playing but winning an ACC championship. If that can happen in basketball, I don't see why Syracuse can't do something special in football. I mean, I mean that that shows you that anything's possible with the right coach. Anyway, it's a fair point. I mean, you kind of hit it on the head. In basketball, too, as a, as a much, I mean, it's a different sport, but at the same time, um, it does show that. You know, just because you don't have the banners and the history of the rings and all that, like, doesn't necessarily mean you can't compete in a sport if you have the right coaches, the right players, and everybody just seems to click at the right time. So, I mean, it's right. I mean, because because basketball, one or two players can make all the difference. Football, you need ten or twenty. Right. I mean, but but even still, Miami never pulled in. You know. I don't think they pulled in a five-star recruit at all. I think Durant Scott was a four-star. Shane Larkin, who was their best player, you know, the year they won the title, was a three-star guy who actually transferred uh, at, at, towards the end of his, uh, right before the season started, from DePaul. So Miami wasn't pulling those top recruits in, and yet, you know, they beat Duke in North Carolina by 30 apiece, and both of those teams were, you know, wall-to-wall five-star guys. Um you know, with the right experience, the right scheme, the right coach, it, it could be possible in football too. Um, it just it, it takes some luck too. I mean, Miami had some injuries, some red shirts. A guy like Julian Gamble, uh, who was around for six years because he had two, you know, he had a, a a red shirt for eligibility and then a red shirt for injury. So they were lucky to catch him. They had a bunch of transfers. A guy like Trey McKinney Jones. Um, you know, they they had 22 and 23 year olds. Uh, on the roster, up and down the roster, not to mention Kenny Kaji, who I think was 24 by the time he was a senior at UM. Um, that always helps. So maybe the transfer route might be Syracuse's, you know, uh, road to success for football too. Uh, you know, get the right transfers, it could always help. But while we're on the topic of basketball, um, I, I like to pick your guys' brains while you're well, I'm fortunate enough to be on this call. What, what's the prognostication for Syracuse hoops. I know they lost a lot uh, to graduation and with Ennis leaving early for the NBA draft. What, what do they look like for next year? Uh, I mean, for us, it's really, you know, how just how well Caleb Joseph does, how we can kind of, how we can kind of deal with um, a lot of the ball movement issues and shooting issues I think we had. I mean, you're going to see Caleb Joseph and Benajay are kind of going to be uh, – the motor for this team, and I think last year what you saw was it wasn't necessarily running out of gas, but it was luck running out more than anything else. Uh, I think I think you're going to see a team that that stresses shooting more. That seems to understand that scoring points is is just as integral as great defense. I think this team's this team set a new bar for defense in, in the last couple of years. I mean, I, I was there during like some of the low points of, of Syracuse defense. When uh, you know, when you had the likes of Stephen Dorff and Paul Harris and, and Johnny Flynn and some others, that really we're, we're much more interested with being on in sports on Sports Center and their top players than and they were playing defense. And you see this team starting with probably the West Johnson team, 
in 2009, uh, 2010, that really kind of, you know, put the clamps back down on defense. Um, so, so for us, it's still going to be defense. It's still going to be the zone, obviously. Um, but it's going to come down to whether the guards can score um, and, and if Rocky and Christmas in particular can really just kind of step up in the paint and help us help us with what's been now a, a a bit of not ineptitude necessarily in the at the center position, but definitely some ineffectiveness that, that I think you know we're, we're looking for consistency. I mean, last year the guys just they took too many fouls, they didn't score enough points, they they weren't necessarily reliable on the board. So so if I was going to point to two things, it's it's guard it's guard play and and points of the paint in general are, are two things that, that I'd like to see spike up, and, and there's a possibility they do. I'd like to be optimistic and say we're a top-ten team again, but, I mean, right now, as it stands, I don't think we are. We could play into one. It's happened before. It's happened in the last few years. So, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. I'm I'm in a very, admittedly, in a very football mood at the, at the moment with the season coming up, but... <laughs> But basketball is always always, good. I I always like talking hoops. There's no doubt about it. Uh, You know, being a Miami alum and a Miami fan, I can talk football 365 days a year, but I I like talking hoops. Like, Miami basketball is like that little brother. You know, like, Miami football is like the big brother that's like, you know, running around, getting all the accolades everybody looks up to, and 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 Miami basketball is like kind of in the shadow, so I, so I always like uh, when the basketball team does well. It, it gives me a little extra satisfaction. Um, but getting back to hoops, I just want to conclude on that subject with with what I saw because I did watch a lot of Syracuse last year. I mean, it felt to, it felt to me like fairly obvious that uh, Trevor Cooney was too inconsistent. He was really the only outside threat, and and, and to me, I mean. You mentioned uh, Caleb Joseph, the young man. He's going to have big shoes to fill because Ennis did everything he could possibly do to help that team win. But if he can be close to what Ennis was, the biggest key to me is for for the Orange to get somebody else besides Cooney that can make outside shots. I think there's too much pressure on Cooney. Uh, He was too inconsistent. I mean, he was ice cold for, for parts of the year. I mean, they need two or three shooters. College basketball, it's such a big thing now. I mean... And, you know, all the teams are copying Syracuse now. Miami even did it last year. I think they did that necessity because they're so shorthanded. But uh, they, they went to a matchup zone. And, and you got to have those guys that can knock down shots and take the other team out of the zone. Unless you're playing Syracuse, in which case they're not coming out of the zone anyway. But, I mean, if you play a team that's just playing, you know, zone as like a junk defense to throw off a team that doesn't have enough outside shooters, you, you got to have somebody step up and knock down a few. Uh, to me, that's the biggest key. Uh, looking at Syracuse as an outsider, uh, you know, watching them play a lot last year. They, they just need some guys to step up and knock down shots, and they'll be fine, in my opinion. But that's not always easy to find either. So, I completely agree, and I think that's how this team has kind of been built best in, in recent years is with that sort of shooter along with the defense. And I think not necessarily to sacrifice defense, but if that's how you're going to get better shots and more points, I mean – you can't get outscored 55 to 53. Can't get outscored 50 to 48. Like those games are, are hideous, and and that's not really how the game of basketball is played, in, in my book. Uh, but, incidentally, one one last uh, thing on that subject: uh, uh, Miami is going to be a much better uh, team this year. I, I don't want to go out on a limb and predict how good they're going to be because they have so many new players. Um, it, it's going to have a lot to do with the type of chemistry they build. They they are going to Spain next month, which should help things out and play some exhibition games um, overseas. But they are going to be a completely new roster, um, you know, with the exception of maybe – I think they have three guys that got significant playing time last year that are going to be back, and there's nine new guys. And, you know, I, I've tried to predict what their starting lineup is going to be in an article. I've tried to – talk about who would be the quote-unquote alpha dog. Um, you know, they've got Angel Rodriguez. is probably going to be the starting point guard, which is crazy because one of their best returning players is Manu LeConte, who turned out to be a really good freshman point guard. 
not as good as Ennis, of course, but but he had a really good freshman year. And, and he's going to be relegated to backup duty most likely because Rodriguez was a second-team All-Big 12 player at Kansas State a couple of years ago. So you got Sheldon McClellan, who led Texas in scoring uh, two years ago. Of course, he shot a very high volume and a very low percentage. But I think he's a very talented player on the wing that Coach Laranago will get the most out of. Um, there's a young man named Ange- uh, DeAndre Burnett, uh, he was supposed to be a freshman last year, but he broke his wrist just before uh, the season started. He once averaged 37 points a game at Carroll City in Florida. He's a younger brother as well of, of uh, or he's the older brother of Dalvin Cook, who's a five-star freshman running back at Florida State. So he comes from good bloodlines, and he's a, a six-foot-two guy that I would say, uh, you know, I'll show my age here. He kind of reminds me of... Uh, God, the guy's name is slipping my former Cleveland Cavalier player um, that once scored 100 points in a high school game. Gosh, his name is slipping my mind. But but the point I'm getting at is Burnett's a real talented kid. Um, so Miami is going to have a serious influx of talent this year, um, but it's all going to be guys that haven't played together. So for me to say that they'll be as good as that team that won the ACC title a couple years ago uh, would be a stretch. It's going to be how, how he gets, how Laranaga gets them to play together and, and you know, how they share the ball and and how hard they play on defense, obviously, uh, is going to be the key to all this. So, But for Syracuse fans that might be listening that, you know, are expecting the team that they played last year, that actually gave them trouble. Miami actually played Syracuse really well, but, but they're going to be a much different team uh, this year, a much deeper team, a much more uh, explosive team, and, and hopefully a better team. I think we're all looking forward to seeing them, to be honest. I know a lot of us had a lot of great things to say about Miami last year. It'll be fun to see how, how they progress uh, with the zone, especially with some help from Bernie Stein. It, it definitely um, it presents some intrigue. But I guess it's I think he, he, I was going to say, I think there's a good chance they probably don't go back to zone this year. I, I think with what they have, um, they're they're a little bit... Um, they, they lack a little depth up front. Tony Jakiri is back, but in two years, you know, he's been kind of, you know, like a Rakim Christmas type. He hasn't quite developed into that big-time player yet. He, yeah, you can see the potential. Um, they have a transfer, um, a Juco transfer uh, named Ivan Cruz Yuseda, who's kind of like a poor man's version of the Gasol brothers. He's kind of like a, an inside-out stretch four not incredibly athletic, but a good passer, good touch, good rebounder. Um, might be a really, really poor man's version of the Saul brothers, considering he played at Juco last year. I should should probably say that, but uh, I think there's a lot of high hopes for him because he has a nice skill set. Um, but he's a 6'10 player. But other than that, you know, they, there's a freshman named Omar Sherman who was a top 100 player from the state of Texas. I, I don't know how good he's going to be. I've seen a little film on him. He doesn't look like an explosive athlete, but he looks like he has nice touch. Um, he's a six eight kid. And they got a six foot seven transfer named Joe Thomas from Niagara, who averaged four points and three rebounds a game last year for Niagara. So that that's their whole front court. They're they're extremely guard and wing heavy. So so if there's a weakness at Miami, it's probably up front. Um, so they're they're gonna be relying maybe on pressing some. Um Jim Laranaga is famous for uh, coaching the scramble that actually Rick Carlisle employed in Dallas with the Mavericks a couple years ago. Um, That's a a Laranaga principle that he likes to use when he has the right personnel, which is kind of like a a lot of half-court trapping. And I think with the the quicker team they have um, and and with them being guard-heavy, you're going to see more of that than you're going to see zone this year. I I don't think they're going to play a lot of zone unless it – you know, unless it just looks like they can't play man at all because guys just don't have the communication and, and uh, you know, the, the one-on-one skill sets. So um, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, Bernie Fine um, was a great find for, for Coach Al last year, and that, that really saved their season switching to that zone because it, it made them a competitive team. And although they only finished 17 and 16, I, I think they, they won five or six games alone just by playing that defense. So. Uh, it's all good to know. Like I said, I think Syracuse fans are going to be looking out for 
for Miami quite a bit this year. Um, kind of a little bit past half time, but definitely want to get uh, another read for our sponsor. Again, audible.com. Um, we're happy to be sponsored by the leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. Like I said before, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from. You can listen to them on any device you want, including whichever one you might be listening to us on right now. Um, you can sign up at our URL, which is audibletrial.com slash newsmagician. You can get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. So if there are any books about, say, Miami or Syracuse or upstate New York, that you might have your eye on, you can head over to audibletrial.com slash newsmagician and uh, search around, see what you can find, and again, you're going to get a, a free audio book. So, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, as also customary for our half times around here, uh, we talk about alcohol for a couple minutes. So, Jerry, what have you been drinking lately? Uh, it's funny you ask. I, I was just on a vacation last week in uh, the Smoky Mountains uh, up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And uh, I drank a lot of beer, but uh, I did drink some whiskey. I did have some Jack Daniels while I was there. I figure, you know, when in Tennessee, that's the home of Jack Daniels. Uh, I'm mostly, I'm mostly a beer guy. I like Yingling. I like Bud Light, uh, Coors Light. Um, you know, occasionally I'll splurge and, you know, drink a Sam Adams or something like that. But, yeah, I, I, I like my alcohol. As we all do. But as Dan was here, you'd feel fairly out of place. As we, uh, <laughs> we're, we're a bit of a craft beer crowd around here, which uh, we really try on bourbon too, or at least we, we make an attempt at trying bourbon. I know a lot of our cohorts down south seem like they're they're pretty big bourbon drinkers, so we, we do make an attempt. I'm not very good at drinking bourbon, um, and I don't. There aren't a ton of people at the blog that are, but I am very good at drinking craft beer. So figured I'd fill out a few of those as I typically do. Um, for those who are fans, uh, Sierra Nevada released their um, Beer Camp Across America uh, box this week. Basically, they usually do their beer camp with uh, home brewers and friends um, up in Chico, California. Uh, this year, they decided instead to do uh, 12 collaborative brews with 12 different breweries across the country um, and do a traveling festival to go along with that. So I've been kind of mowing through those um, as we go. Uh, some of the ones I've had so far, um, Electric Ray, uh, an ITL, so obviously Sierra Nevada, and that was with um, Dallas Point down in San Diego. I uh, had Nelson IPA from Alpine Beer Company. That's not from the Beer Camp series. Uh, what else have I been drinking? Oh, Tater Ridge, which was from the... Uh, Asheville Brewers, um, Asheville Brewing Company. Um, it's supposed to be brewed with sweet potatoes. I wasn't tasting the sweet potatoes, but it was still a good beer. So I'd say to check that out. Um, I, I always like a good German beer. When I could find a good German beer, like a Frozenkoner or Heckershore, those, those beers are hard to find, though. But I'm a big fan of the brewed in Germany beers. Uh, they, they tend to have... You know, good variety, good rich taste, um, but you know, not always easy to find. German beers are, are, I think, a very, I think, rich is probably the right word. Um, I know, I mean, I don't know what the Florida beer scene looks like. But now around here, you can actually find a good deal of, of German. I, we have a couple of German beer halls, uh, like right in my neighborhood um, here in Los Angeles, which is nice. And when I lived up in San Francisco, there was um, there was one that was about a couple block walk from my apartment. It was great to and had, had a traditional um, had traditional like benches, the whole deal, and it was just like different varieties of spotting for the most part on draft, and they were all pretty awesome. Um, speaking of German beers, uh, one of the other beer camp varieties was uh, Alt Route from uh, it was a collab with obviously Sierra Nevada and Victory Brewing. For those who are familiar with the um, Pennsylvania brewery. Very good German style. Um, I, I was a very big fan. And those are just a couple of beers from me. You can go on untapped. See what else I've been drinking lately. But now back Could to... Ask, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, shoot, Jerry. Uh, Can I ask a, a related but 
but off-topic question. So, so I started out the call telling you that uh, I had chosen University of Miami over Syracuse. Tell me, I, I, I know what my experience at University of Miami is. Tell me what my experience at Syracuse would have been like. What, what did I miss out on or what did I not miss out on? Well, I would say, admittedly, for for the for the time that, that you were picking, Sean would probably be your best bet, just because you and him are pretty much the exact same age. So he would definitely be the best resource here. But I would say, you missed if you had gone to school then, you would have experienced a similar level of football success, though not though not not as good, but close. Um, you would have seen... oh, no, I'm not, I'm not even I'm not even talking about sports because I I I followed sports closely. You know, even at Syracuse, those years that I was at Miami. What did I miss? Back, what did I miss out in terms of alcohol, partying, that <laughs> that type of stuff? Mm-hmm. That was more along the lines of what I was asking. Well, you missed out on trudging 15 minutes through the snow to the bar. Um, you missed out on a dome that gets brutally hot because it doesn't have air conditioning. Missed out on what is a thriving house party scene and I stand by the fact that at Euclid Avenue was when I was there one of the most fun off-campus housing uh, communities that that I've seen and I've been to a bunch of different campuses and, and, and tried to go to parties and that was always my favorite and I lived off Euclid my last two years there. Um it's tough to really say. I guess like it really depends on what people what people look for at their experiences. You know what? Like I've talked to plenty of people that I went to Syracuse with that had completely different experiences than I did. I know my wife went to Syracuse when and we both were there together and she was in Greek life, I wasn't. And while we had plenty of experiences together all over there, we also had very different experiences <laughs> at, at Syracuse just the same. And I know talking to, to some of the other guys that are alums that uh, that write for the blog. I know uh, one of my coworkers. Uh, he went. For, I think he graduated in ninety. He graduated in like two thousand, like two thousand ish. Yeah, and, and he definitely describes a very different situation. So I mean, I, what I think I liked about Syracuse was, yes, it's a big sports school. Yes, it has some of the experiences that you always and that you'll find at most you know D one sports schools. But at the same time, I feel like. Everybody could could experience it in their own way, and very much did, based on the feedback you hear from any two alums. Well, it it, it was a long, long time ago, but I, I visited Syracuse in 1995 when I was getting ready to graduate high school, and I'd already been to Florida and seen the University of Miami, and you know, seen the big lake in the middle of campus, and and the country club atmosphere, and the warm weather, and the palm trees, and all that good stuff. And I went to Syracuse, and it was in the spring, and I remember um, seeing, like, stairways down to something, like tunnels almost. And, and I asked the, the tour guide what those were for, and um, in a colorful way, he kind of said, that was when we have, like, several feet of snow. That's how you get to class. And I, the memories of, of walking to class or rollerblading to class or whatever, surrounded by palm trees and all that good stuff was still fresh in my mind, and that, that kind of made up my mind. There was no big difference for me um, academically and in terms of the financial aid I was receiving and all that good stuff between Syracuse and Miami and just seeing those those stairs down to, like, tunnels so that you can get to class when there's three feet of snow uh, was my deciding factor. That made me decide I, I, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> so it's good to know I didn't miss out on too much, though. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, you're going to look at, I think 75% of most college experiences at similar type schools, and I think Miami and Syracuse can have a lot in common, um, are going to mimic one another very much. I think what, what sets it apart is, in many cases, sports, um, I think academics and, and and weather. And, well, I think, you know, sports and academics at Syracuse and Miami can kind of feel similar. Um, I think weather is obviously where Miami gets you know, get Syracuse over very much. Um, I know my best friend from college and I always joke, uh, when we were there, we used to, <laughs> when we were trudging through four feet of snow, you know, in, in January, February, we always used to joke about when the UCLA-USC transfer deadline was. Um, 
<laughs> for for a few years. Um, but honestly, despite all the snow and the cold and everything else, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I mean, since then, you know, now I live in Los Angeles, I get to enjoy amazing weather without humidity all the time, and I uh, I have no complaints. Well, you, you made a wise move. I do think so, especially based on <laughs> when you compare it to the Right. Right. <laughs> Good stuff. I guess, yeah. I guess with a few minutes left, um, who do you guys, I mean, other than the quarterback position, which I think bears a lot on, on your uh, your season's outcome, who do you see as, as the guy? Is it Duke Johnson? Is it, is it Stacey Coley? Is, is there somebody else that, that we're not seeing that's really going to kind of make or break this Miami season? All right, well, there's a lot of – I'll start with the question marks. Um, running back, is Duke Johnson the game? you got to hope he stays healthy, though. That, that's the key. He was banged up a lot last year, even before he broke his ankle. Um, there's a gentleman, Gus Edwards, who as a true freshman ran for a couple hundred yards last year. He's 235 pounds. He's probably the front runner to back up Duke. And then uh, you have Joe Yearby, who's a true freshman, you know, four- or five-star guy, depending on your recruiting service. That's a 190-pound back with great vision, great cuts, great elusiveness. Uh, he's not going to redshirt. He's going to get a lot of playing time this year. Um, you know, they're pretty low to that wide receiver. Coley's a guy, but you have experienced players uh, like Herb Waters, Phil Dorsett, who, by the way, um, it was reported, and I can't confirm this because obviously I wasn't there holding the stopwatch, but uh, Phil Dorsett supposedly ran a 41840, um, which would be one of the fastest 40s uh, ever recorded by a college football player, and it would be pretty impressive for an NFL guy. So you got Dorsett, Waters, Coley, uh, at tight end, you have a pretty solid uh, target in Clive Walford. Um, the big question mark on the offense to me, you have to replace two starters on the offensive line. Uh, perhaps losing Central Henderson would be uh, addition by subtraction because he's incredibly talented but also incredibly inconsistent. Uh, the front runner to replace uh, Henderson at right tackler is a kid named Taylor Gabboys, who was a three-star kid from Texas. Uh, Gabboys has a lot of confidence. Um, I read a report not too long ago where he said he thought he was better than Henderson last year, but he was willing to wait. So, you know, he, he's not shy about talking about his skills. But as well, I've also seen film from Miami spring practice where he got absolutely whipped by Al-Qadim Muhammad. But that's there's no shame in that because Muhammad's a former five-star defensive end from Jersey, as we talked about earlier. So, again, boys, is a question mark. Uh, they're going to be replacing third-round draft pick Brandon Linder uh, with a young man named Danny Isadora, who was, you know, a pretty highly touted guy coming out of high school, but he was injured last year just before the season started and did not pick up any experience. So you look at Miami's right side of their offensive line, and they have talented guys, but they're green. Um, along the rest of the line, Shane McDermott uh, was injured last year but played through it, so he kind of had an up-and-down year, but he was still, I think, third-team All-ACC. Uh, John Feliciano, who's uh, their left guard, um, was honorable mention all ACC, so he's obviously yeah, – I think he's their best run blocker. And at left tackle, you have Eric Flowers, who's a guy many people are thinking could be a first-round NFL talent. So the offensive line has the two guys on the right side there are question marks. The biggest question mark on the team outside of quarterback, though, is defensive line. Uh, the last two seasons, Miami has been absolutely terrible. Uh, defending the run, they've been one of the worst defensive teams in the country. Their tackling has been terrible. Uh, their their pass rush has been inconsistent. Um, so defensive line, they have two JUCO guys. Uh, one kid, Michael Weish, uh, from East Los Angeles Community College, I believe it is. Uh, he was being recruited by the University of Southern California before he came to Miami. I think he squats 650 pounds and benches 450. So he's an incredibly strong man. He's about six foot five, 350 pounds. They're trying to get him down to 335. When you look at his Juco film, he looks like Warren Sapp. But, of course, that's against Juco, Juco competition. So can he be that nose tackle? Because for people that don't follow Miami that closely with their defensive struggles, they've been trying to transition from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And, and that's been part of the problem why their defense has been so bad. They have 4-3 personnel, and they're trying to play a 3-4 scheme. So if Weish can be that 
that anchor and nose tackle will help him out tremendously. Of course, you have Anthony Chicklow, who's back for his senior season. Uh, he's good for maybe four to six sacks a year. He's been a solid performer. He hasn't quite lived up to his four-slash-five-star uh, rankings that he had coming out of high school, but he's he's a very solid player, plays with a lot of motor. Um, at the other defensive end-slash-outside linebacker, you're going to have guys like Tyreek McCord, who played really well. He had the game-cinching sack in Miami's biggest win last year versus Syracuse. Versus, uh, I almost said Syracuse versus Florida when they beat the Gators down uh, at Sunlight Stadium. And McCord was banged up too last year. When he was in the lineup, there were a different defense. Maybe not a great defense, but, but a much better defense. Um, okay, so you move on to linebacker, and Denzel Perryman was a first-team All-ACC player last year. Uh, he, he's an outstanding player. Nobody's concerned about him. He's going to get his tackles. He's going to make card hits. He's going to make big plays. But what else do they have at linebacker? Uh, two guys, unfortunately, were involved in an incident last week that I'm sure everybody's heard about, Jawan Blue and Alex Figueroa. Blue was projected to be the, the second-team middle linebacker behind Perryman, and uh, those two gentlemen are now in prison, so uh, you're not going to be hearing from them. Figueroa was competing with Raphael Kirby, who's another highly touted prospect that hasn't lived up to the hype at linebacker for one starting spot. So Kirby really has the pressure on him. They have another gentleman named Jermaine Grace, who is also highly touted. He's a 210-pound linebacker, so he's a little undersized, but he has a lot of talent. So they have to find the right mix among those players. Their front seven really needs to play better. It seems like teams, I mean, the Duke game to me really stood out, uh, and also the Virginia Tech game was pretty bad too, but the Duke game was was just impossible to watch. I mean, I, I never thought I'd see the day. We talked about Duke's success under David Cutliffe, but they just shoved the ball down Miami's throat in that game. I, I don't know how many rushing guards they have, but Miami is getting blown off the ball. Whether it's, you know, White, Chicolo, McCord, um, you know, Perryman, I, I, they, they got to get that group together on their front seven and, and be more stout. They can't just let teams run down their throat. And then when, if they are able to be more stout, they have to generate a pass rush. I've talked about Al-Qadim Muhammad. I think he could be a breakout star on this team uh, and really produce a lot of sacks. Uh, now, in the back four, they have tons of depth. They have more depth in their defensive backfield than probably since the glory days of the early 2000s. Um, Tracy Howard was a third-team All-ACC player last year as a sophomore. Uh, if he improves as much as he did between his freshman and sophomore years to his sophomore and junior years, he could be in the NFL. Uh, he's that good. He's he's one of the top corners in the country coming out of high school, and he, he looks to be living up to the billing. Uh, on the other side, you have an experienced guy in Ladarius Gunther, who's solid if not spectacular, but another breakout performer who was a true freshman last year and looked good in limited playing time is Artie Burns. Artie Burns is probably going to overtake Gunther and, and, and team up with Howard to give Miami, you know, outside of Florida State, maybe the best cornerback tandem in the ACC and I know I sound like a homer, but those guys are both really highly touted recruits. Then you have safety, where Miami's completely loaded. Um, last year they played A.J. Highsmith, who, while he's a very nice kid, you know, he's a converted quarterback, the son of, um, you know, a Miami legend in Alonzo Highsmith. Uh, he was a terrible tackler. They also had a guy named Casey Rogers, who, you know, with all due respect to Casey Rogers, I hate to throw a kid under the bus. He's just not the type of kid Miami used to recruit. Those two guys are gone. That's kind of addition by subtraction. Uh, Dion Bush had a hernia surgery right before the season started last year, so he wasn't effective, but he was an All-American, uh, a, a uh, freshman All-American his freshman year. So Miami's hoping he bounces back for his junior year. They moved Dallas Crawford to safety. Dallas Crawford ran for 12 touchdowns as a running back last year and was really effective after Duke Johnson was hurt. So they liked him so much at safety, and he was actually a safety in high school, uh, more so than a running back. So they liked him at safety. Uh, Rashawn Jenkins is an experienced player that had three interceptions last year. Um, the kid Kai Hester, who's a true freshman, if he can crack the lineup, uh, he's a 6'2", 200-pound guy that looks like he's teleporting across the field to tackle people when you look at his high school film. So the defensive backfield is loaded. The biggest question mark on the entire team outside of quarterback is that front seven, and they're they're resting a lot of hopes on that Juco kid Weish at defensive tackle. Uh, if he could come in and play the nose tackle, 
uh, with any type of success, it'll free up Perryman um, to clean up a lot of plays and, and their other linebackers and defensive ends to make plays as well. So I think I just gave you a rundown of the entire team, every position, but <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of intriguing battles. There's a lot of question marks. There's, you know, Miami is not going to be predictable this year. It's, it, it's going to depend on how a lot of things break. But I will say this, you know, you look at uh, defensive back in particular, um, running back, wide receiver, um, even their offensive line, while it may not be deep, it, it's it's front-loaded with talent. This is the most talented team Al Golden's had since he's been in Miami. So if they can just get the quarterback situation figured out and they can improve their defensive line play, they, they have a shot to win the Coastal, in my opinion. All right, I'll take it. I mean, yeah, you pretty much ran through the whole team, but you know what? That's kind of what we needed. And I, I think for the most part, I think we've got a, a pretty a pretty solid just a look at the Canes overall. Um, so on that note, I mean, I'm ready to wrap unless there's anything else you wanted to share with everybody before you left, Jay? No, I just thought, uh, you know, I, I, I really, uh, more than some of the other ACC counterparts that, that we – you know, have I, I really respect the Syracuse program. I have a soft spot for Syracuse. I wish you guys a lot of success, especially considering Miami's on the schedule this year. Uh, and, and I'm really looking forward to basketball season, too. I, I, I really enjoyed the Syracuse-Miami contest last year. I think they only play once this year coming up. But, um, you know, I wish you guys well. Anything, any questions? I know uh, Miami's probably not that popular in upstate New York, but any questions, uh, stop by stateofthu.com. Um, you can find my email and all that stuff on there, and I always welcome uh, fans and, and writers of other blogs to come by anytime they want, and, and I'm more than willing to share any information on Miami I have. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Jerry. And, guys, be sure to check out stateofthu.com. It is SB Nation's great Miami blog. I frequent there quite a bit. You'd be surprised just how much news and information there is, almost as much as Syracuse. I know that we inundate everyone with a hell of a lot of stuff every day, but say the U does a pretty nice job of it themselves with kind of recruiting, all kinds of fun information about the basketball team. Even if you may be skeptical, you won't be after reading the great stuff over there, so I'd highly recommend it. All right, for uh, Troy News and Absolute Podcast, I'm John. That was Jerry. Have a good night, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.